In the name of the true and living God, amen. Please be seated. So for almost 10 years, my family and I lived on the Monterey Peninsula. It's a beautiful place if you've ever been to that part of the state of California. And one, things, one of the things I found fascinating about there is that you go just a few minutes in any direction and things change. The topography is really varied. You've got the beautiful rocky coastline of Pebble Beach and Pacific Grove. You've got the foggy, sleepy village of Carmel-by-the-Sea. The vast fields of Salinas. Just a little to the south, you've got the rugged and dramatic cliffs of Big Sur. And then where we lived, inland just a little bit, in the warm pastures of Carmel Valley. And if you go just a few minutes in any of these directions, the weather changes, literally, and the scenery, of course, but also the culture. You get different communities, different spirit in each place, and yet, somehow, the whole Monterey Peninsula holds together as a whole, sort of unity in varied diversity. But one thing that I came to recognize after a while living there was one area that we didn't have variety was religion. Pretty much everybody identified as Christian. Most, the vast majority of people identified as Christian in that area. Now, they didn't all go to church, but they identified maybe nominally or maybe practicing um, as Roman Catholic, mainline Protestant, non-denominational. And as the world experienced, as all across this country um, we experienced over and over, we read about heartbreaking situations where hate crimes have broken out against minor minority communities in this country, most, mostly. And uh, there was one time after a particularly horrific event against Muslims that I became curious about how are the Muslims in our community, how are they doing at this time? And why don't we have more connection across people of different faiths? I was interested in reaching out to the Muslims as well as the Jews, and the first thing I did was call up the local rabbi. There was one synagogue for the whole Monterey Peninsula, um, and the rabbi was somebody that I had known of but had never met. He was just down the street from me, Rabbi Bruce. If you're astute, you may realize Bruce is not a very Jewish name. <laughs> it's very Monterey Peninsula. Rabbi Bruce, he, I assure you, was thoroughly Jewish, but he pointed out to me he's probably the only Rabbi Bruce there is. And so Bruce and I got together, of course, at a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> and we had a really exciting conversation. And afterwards, we agreed that uh, we wanted to do something and that we would reach out to the Muslims that were part of the only mosque in the area. And interestingly, I think other people were having the same idea at the same time. It wasn't just Bruce and I. And so organically, uh, Meetings were made, and a little steering committee was gathered. We had people from the mosque, people from the synagogue, and then various Christian leaders from the different Christian communities, um, which ran the gamut. And we started to have events. We, we found quickly a, a great sort of opportunity there is that in all of the Abrahamic faiths, one thing that we share clearly is a belief that we are called to serve to serve those in need. And so we built our gatherings around service. 
often cooking massive amounts of food to serve those who, who were hungry. But sometimes other kinds of projects, we were stuffing things into boxes or backpacks or whatnot. And it's a great way to get to know other people when you're serving alongside them, shoulder to shoulder, sometimes literally. And when your hands are busy, it gives you the opportunity to have good conversations. We also programmed in um, small conversations where people of each of the three faiths would have a chance to sit down in small groups and get to know each other and talk about meaningful questions. And this was often the best part of all of the gatherings. And we had to be careful with the Christians because there were so many who wanted to be a part of it. We had to limit it so that they didn't overwhelm the numbers of the other two groups. And I will share, interestingly, and maybe predictably, I think maybe the hardest challenge in terms of the diverse backgrounds that we had were, uh, for me, among some of the Christians. And in fact, on paper, those Christians who you would think were the very closest to my tradition, which is the Episcopal Church, and if you haven't guessed it, it was when I was having a conversation with somebody and I said, oh, what church are you from? And they said, oh, the Anglican Church. <laughs> but even there, there were some bridges that were able to be built. I'm happy to say the last time I was out visiting and I talked to some of my old friends who used to be involved with it, they're still involved, it's still going on. The uh, group now is, has become its own 501c3 and it's called JCM United, Jews, Christians, and Muslims United. And when I think back on the many lessons that I took from it, one of the core visceral experiences for me was that to be around joyful Muslims and joyful Jews makes me a more joyful Christian. Of course, we had different beliefs and different practices, but we had in common that we were people of faith and that we were actively practicing faith, which was a lot to share. This first reading that we heard a minute ago is a fascinating reading where we get an account of Paul in Athens. And we know actually from the verses that come just before it that he was looking around and observing and seeing that there were many different ways people were practicing their faith and it was um, a different version where um, there were temples and altars to these many different Greek gods. And he was troubled by that, but then he has a chance to address the people. And he goes to the Areopagus. Um, we don't know for sure from the text it's one of two possibilities. There was a council called the Areopagus, so he may have been speaking in front of those people, or he, we think more likely, went to a place, which is a rock outcrop in Athens, called the Areopagus. And what does Areopagus mean? Where does the name come from? It's the hill of Ares. The Greek god Ares was actually tried on top of that hill, um, according to mythology. So the hill is still, to this day, you can visit it. It is the Areopagus there. Ares is also Mars, the Roman god. And you may have heard there are some very well-known Christian churches named Mars Hill. Mars Hill is Areopagus. And they were inspired to name those churches because of this very speech that Paul gives. And what does he say? Well, he, he's very clever. He's always thinking about his audience. And he starts out by flattering them. 
He says, well, I've observed that you are extremely religious in every way, that you are very observant in your practices. And I've even observed, he says, that there is one altar that you have that is named as an altar to a God unknown. Paul sees a little opening. Perhaps they have an inkling of the true and living God. And if they do, he's here to share and tell them all about the true God, the one who created you and me and all that exists in heaven and earth, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. It's not that different when Paul Tillich came along in the 20th century. Paul Tillich, preaching and writing to Christians, but Christians whose God has become too small. And Paul Tillich challenging people with a new way of speaking about God. He says, can you imagine the vastness of who God truly is? Because God, according to Tillich, is not merely a being among other beings, but God is being itself. God is the ground of being, is the way Tillich phrased it. Try to take that in being itself. Tillich also said, if you ask who is God, well, God is our ultimate concern. It regrounds us to use language like that. And can you think about, do you treat God as your ultimate concern? My old spiritual director, who was actually a Benedictine Episcopal monk named Father Tom, he used to share this image that he had about religions. And when we look especially at across different religions, he said that underneath there's a root system. And some of the root systems intertwine. And he says, if you go below the roots, there you will find God. Well, those Athenians, they were not the only ones to worship dumb idols and things that are less than God, because we do that too, all the time. We do not treat God as our ultimate concern, but money, status, safety, comfort, and many other things take that place all too often for all too many of us. And it's hard to break that pattern, and that's why we need religion. That's why we need each other as we practice faith together. It's been said that a Christian alone is an oxymoron. We need each other. And at St. John's, I was reflecting on it, we have many, many ways to practice faith together. Some of it is with fellowship, which is frankly fun, being together with our fellow St. John's parishioners, who are a lively bunch, if you've come to know, but also through service. We have about 12, maybe more, active ministries where you can serve others. We have ways that you can learn. We have a Bible study every week on Sunday, but we also have EFM, which is a deep dive, which you can read about in the bulletin right now, and we're actually opening up registration for the fall. It's like a seminary course over four years. Um, we have a book group. We've got all kinds of things. And of course, you can sing in the choir, you can serve on the altar, you could be an usher, and I'm going to forget about a dozen more things. There's so many ways that we can grow 
In fact, we've decided we're going to start a new offering in the fall, something called Being With. It's a course that's been developed at St. Martin in the Fields in London, a church that actually has some similarities to us. And Sam Wells and his team have created this curriculum, a way for us to sink a little deeper into our relationship with God, the ground of our being, and learn to be with God and allow God to be with us as we learn to be with one another. So I look forward to sharing more as we get closer to that point. We've got fellowship opportunities. We've got our Latrobe Fellowship, which is a robust uh, fellowship of people who are young in their 20s and 30s, um, who get together mostly for social experiences, but for worship. And we're bringing back something that used to exist that went away called the Lafayette Fellowship for people a little bit older, and that's coming soon. We have a brand new fellowship for LGBTQ plus folks. And if you're interested in growing in faith or being involved, It's easy to get involved. And if you want any help or guidance, we clergy, we stand ready to have conversation and help point you in a good direction. Religion can be a beautiful thing. And I guess I have to say that because the word religion is no longer considered in all company a good word. And you can understand why. But it's something for us to reclaim hopefully, because actually the word religion, if you know what it means, is a beautiful thing because it means reconnect. Lig comes from the same root as ligament, holds us together. So to relig is to reconnect, something that we all need. So we come to places like this and we involve ourselves in religion to be reconnected to our ultimate concern, who is the ground of our being, the God in whom we live and move and exist every day, whether we know it or not. Good religion will give us joy and connection, even across faiths. Jesus taught his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and his commandment is to love. In other words, if you take him at his word and you live and move in his way, it will take you below the roots and a God unknown will become known to you. Amen.